1981, why did 300,000 people turn up for a funeral ceremony when no one had died? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott and this is Lateral. Right, take five factorial, uh, integrate that with respect to x, add Graham's number, uh, divide by pi equals three. Yeah, we've got three guests. We are good to go. And those three guests are, first of all, someone who in the, the pre-game chat uh, suggested that he should be described as writer and YouTuber and whatever, I guess. Please welcome Brian David Gilbert. Hello. Welcome to the show. You are one of three first-time players today. How are you feeling about uh, being on the show? I'm going to crush it. I'm going to absolutely destroy <laughs> and I'm here to win and nothing else. Not be entertaining. <laughs> not be fun, just very competitive and angry the entire time. Aren't you doing some appearances on Dropout right now? I feel like, I feel like there's more of a, <laughs> it's more of a competitive vibe than I'd normally get from you. I'm, yeah, you're right. I think it's just, it's slowly been seeping into my psyche over the course of however many <laughs> game shows things I've been doing. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck today. Uh, next up, we have professional domino artist and YouTuber, Lily Havesh. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited. I don't know the most about trivia, but, you know, I think we're going to work together and, and get some good stuff, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, this is absolutely a show where if you think of an answer that might be completely off-base, completely ridiculous, say it anyway, because if it's wrong, it probably will set something off in someone else's head. Um, I have to ask, like, domino artist, there aren't that many people who can claim to have that level of success with what you're doing. How often are you spending like days now on the ground just <laughs> racking up dominoes yeah you know it varies like sometimes i'll be on the floor for like five days a week just like setting up really intense but then there's other weeks where i'm literally not even touching a domino i'm just like on my computer like planning things emails calls like that admin kind of stuff so it varies all right, well, very best of luck today. Our last player is mathematician Hannah Fry, who I last saw, we, we, did we last meet, was it the, was it the Christmas lectures? We, I think we've seen each other since then, haven't we? Yeah, we have. I think that's where, uh, I seem to remember being on a, on a bus with you um, in somewhere in Alabama, <laughs> uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, yes. Very tired. I think you'd been, you'd been on about day 580 uh, away from home. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was exhausted traveling through Huntsville, Alabama. That was it. The yeah, last time the it. world saw us on the same place, yes. that was the Christmas lectures a while back. How are you doing? What are you working on at the moment? Um, oh, gosh, all sorts of things. I'm writing a new book. Um, I have just finished making a new uh, series for the BBC um, called uh, Secret Genius. I've got a new podcast that's out. I mean, lots of things, lots of things. Too, too, ma too many to mention. All right. Good luck to all three of our players. Looking at my wristwatch, it looks like Mickey Mouse is telling me it's puzzle o'clock. So let's get going with question one. Paul Brown earned over $13 million by working out how to turn something upside down. What was it? I'll give you that one more time. Paul Brown earned over $13 million by working out how to turn something upside down. What was it? It was a lottery ticket and he had originally written the number six but then he flipped it over to a nine and then that was the winning number <laughs> and that's how he won all that money what about an aircraft like so um i mean i don't know really sure where i'm going with this but um <laughs> aircraft can fly upside down and the first person to have done that must have been like worth a lot of money hold on i 
I know aircraft can do barrel rolls. I've been in an aircraft doing a barrel roll. I did not know aircraft could fly upside down. Yeah, well, this is the whole thing. That's the whole reason why uh, aerodynamicists get really, uh, you know, hoity-toity with each other, arguing about Bernoulli versus Newton. Because all the Bernoulli people are like, oh, it's because uh, pressure and and speed and and, that's the reason why aircraft can fly. And then the Newton people are like, how come planes can fly upside down? I like, I mean, I've never been in one when it flew upside down, but I... I, I recommend I, it. It's fun. <laughs> Wait, Hannah, I'm sorry. I just want to double check that you are saying that, like, actual aerodynamic physicists are like, I guess planes can do it, and they're just, and we're all just cool with that? We're all just, like, 100% fine with that? Yes! Okay. I'll drive, I guess, everywhere from here on out. <laughs> no one really knows how planes fly, and I have a PhD in aerodynamics, okay. so... <laughs> That that's the feel, that's the official line. That makes me feel great. That makes me feel super, super good. I feel like it's something that it's like you, you turn it upside down, but it's like something unexpected, but like makes total sense. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't think of it, but it's like, oh yeah, obviously, you know? Yeah. Almost certainly all three of you will have seen this thing, both right side up and upside down. So it's something very common. Yeah. Most Western households will uh will have this product or will know someone who has this. So you reckon I've got one in my house? I think there's like a 50-50 chance that you've got something like this in your house. Is it like in the bathtub when you turn the knob and you like turn it upside down? I don't know. Something like that. (laughs) Someone pushed too far and found that it still worked and made the water warmer and it was nice. If okay, I when you first said that it's in every Western household, that that stopped my original idea. But I'm still gonna say, was it the inventor of uh oh my god, why am I bl- the hourglass? That's what the term is. Is it just? Oh, and, that's cute. But then I was like, I, every Western household, every weird alchemist in the world, <laughs> yeah. still having their hourglasses ready to go. And I was like, there's no way you made one or thirteen million dollars or whatever it was off of just being like, hey, check this out. Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can use my hourglass more than once now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Every it was single use for the first centuries of it. It was wild. I mean, to be fair, the, the like the the things, the timepieces that predated uh, hourglasses were like candle clocks, right? Mm. Which which essentially were single use. So I mean, I'm 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 into it. Okay, wait, Tom, can I ask a question? Yeah. When when you have it in your house, do you only ever have it one way up? Yes, in this case, for the for this new improved version of it, and improved version. You're absolutely right. Like between you, you've honed in. This is definitely an invention. Hmm. I don't know why my brain is going to like food that's stuck in a container, but then you spin it around so then it can come out easily, you know, something like that. Or like shampoo that's at the end of the bottle and then you have to like get all the rest of it out. Yes. Wait, really? I don't know where that came from, Lily. No oh, way. What? Where that, that sudden bolt from the blue came from. Oh I, my God. You're going to have to nail it down a little bit more than that. Hang on. Is it ketchup? The upside down ketchup bottle? Yes, it is. Okay. I have a story about that. I have a good friend. Uh, his name is Joseph's Machines. He does like Rube Goldberg type stuff. And he made a machine that like spins around like a giant fan, I think. And it has ketchup attached to it. And that gets all the ketchup out. I think that was just in the back of my brain. Amazing. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, It was Paul Brown, 1991. Uh, He designed a valve that would allow shampoo bottles 
to sit upside down in the shower so you could squeeze out just the right amount. Uh, and that was eventually sold to Heinz. And eventually he sold his company for $13 million. And also super, I, I just want to say, definitely deserved all that money because that is extremely important in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I really care a lot about that invention. <laughs> That's very important to me. I can't believe I didn't think about it. The main thing that I'm thinking about now, though, Tom, I've got to be honest, is your estimate that only 50% of Western households have ketchup. <laughs> I think that I think I stand by that number. I guess about 50%. Hang on, hang on. Let's do a study here. Uh, Lily, <laughs> Lily and Brian, do you have ketchup in your house? You know, it's funny. I actually don't really like ketchup except on hamburgers and hot dogs. So I have one singular ketchup packet that I got from like Wendy's. <laughs> that's it. Also, there's still some people who are going to buy the old school glass bottles. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This is very true. They're the same people that have our glasses in their house. It's the same exact <laughs> Venn diagram there. Each of our guests has brought a question along with them. Uh, I think after that, Lily, we're going to go with your question first, whenever you're ready. Sure. So this question was sent in by Philip Hodgson. And the question is, why are children all around the world grateful that Eric McMillan looked at a jar of pickled onions in the 1970s? One more time. Why are children all around the world grateful that Eric McMillan looked at a jar of pickled onions in the 1970s? Is he the guy who invented Monster Munch? <laughs> I don't that, believe so. No. Okay, okay. Li- Lily, I don't know whether that's a that's transatlantic. <laughs> that definitely isn't. But I have been in the UK, and I, I have to say, I am so upset that I can't get pickled onion Monster Munch in America. Sorry if we can't talk about that brand's name. I don't know if that's so. How loud. do we translate that, Brian? Like between us, we 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 both spent time in both countries. How do you translate pickled onion Monster Munch to that side of the Atlantic? Like I, I'm not worried about Australia. Australia will have something equally um disgusting <laughs> i was gonna yeah. go with tangy but let's go with <laughs> equally mouth puckering so lily have you ever tried them pickled onions pickled onion monster munch uh no what is monster munch i actually don't know what that is monster munch are like m- maize maize snacks like corn snacks in the in the shape of like monsters ostensibly they're just monster really feet shaped. specifically oh, monster feet yes um so it's just like it's like if you took a really cheap corn chip and then just covered it in onion and vinegar flavouring so much that you kind of go <laughs> when you eat it. it. It sort of leaves you with ulcers. Okay. Yeah. Also, I think that like when you describe, it's an intense flavour and I want to say that the texture specifically, it's like what if you took a normal cheese doodle and you made it painful? It's it's just like what if it was harder <laughs> and sharper? Okay. Like what if you took it and then yes. you eat it and it feels like you're chewing glass, but also you want to. It's the best. I love it. <laughs> they are amazing. It's, it's the savoury equivalent of Captain Crunch. Okay, <laughs> yes, got yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like it's for certain people. Oh, yeah. I kind yeah. of assume that this is a British question because we have pickled onions in the 1970s and a bloke called Eric. And I just mm. feel like yeah. feel like this is a British thing. Yeah, it could be considered, yes. Okay, so what else looks like... Like, pickled onions is like... T- and they're tiny, like, miniature onions. I don't know what the technical term for this is. Silver skin onions they're or like something like that. small balls in a jar. Yeah, small balls yeah. in a jar of murky-looking fluid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything like that that school children are used to seeing? Are uh, some cartoon character that's based around that? I don't know. 
school children specifically. So parents are actually grateful that he looked at this jar too. Looked at? Seems like such a strange... Yeah. It's got to be visual inspiration for like something that he designed, invented, made. Yes, you're on the right track. Did he invent the first uh, one of those like plastic ball pits that you find in like the weird little playgrounds <laughs> in yeah. kids? That that's yeah. it. That was Wait, so fast. Is that what? It? Yeah, it, it inspired oh, me to create the ball pit. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I was just shooting from the hip. I cannot believe that. That Okay, wait a second, though. Why are parents grateful for this? It feels like that's a thing that kids get lost in all the time. Like, I feel like you just, you throw your kid in there, and then they come out in maybe four hours if you're lucky. I don't know. And weirdly, smelling of pickled onions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I, as, as, as someone who has a child, I can confirm that those ball pits are genuinely the most disgusting places on earth. If you want to catch a disease, you just throw your kid into the ball pit. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess someone had to invent the ball pit. I, I, I kind of thought that would be an earlier thing than nineteen seventies, but of course they're plastic. Yeah. It's not like before cheap plastics came along, you could have a ball pit. Okay. Yeah, I did yeah, think about that. I, in my head, I was like, surely in the nineteen twenties, people were having fun in ball pits. But no, I now <laughs> I think that is a, no. a difficult thing. You, they, they would be made yeah. of glass, and, they were made of glass, and then they were made of asbestos, and finally we got safe ball pits. <laughs> and apparently, there's there's ball pits with bars, like they have a bar ball pit in London, apparently. Yeah, it's called Bally Ballison, and I just hate it just on principle for that name. <laughs> <laughs> Where, what, for, like for adults in Shoreditch, there is a there is a oh ball pit gosh. bar. Yeah. Oh my god, you that is you're going to need a tetanus jab to even enter that building. <laughs> it, it's a, are you allowed to bring your drinks into the ball pit? Because that seems like a disaster. <laughs> I feel like it's it's kind of kind of a requirement at that point. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, great guest, Brian. The English inventor Eric McMillan is sometimes referred to as the father of soft play and his pioneering designs appeared in play areas in the U.S., Canada, and beyond. The idea for the ball pit, uh, it was hit to him when he went to the kitchen one day, and he later said, there was a jar of onions, and we were sort of saying, wow, how about if you crawl through those? The first ball pit was in <laughs> San Diego, and it contained 40,000 balls. And also, as a side note, the London nightclub Bally Ballerson has the ball pit for adults, and it contains over one million balls, which are actually regularly cleaned. Oh, okay. Okay. what do they mean by regularly, though? <laughs> okay. I've been I out mean, in shortage. That's, uh... They're disinfected with alcohol. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's just whatever spills out of the shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just have to hope that someone's ordering pure grain <laughs> alcohol every night, and that's it. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, the first ball pit had 40,000 balls in it? 40,000, yep. That is really calling your shot. I don't know. I'm not sure that's that many, because that's a volume calculation. That's got a cubed in it. Uh, and I'm not sure if you get 40,000, that's actually going to fill that much space. Because I've been... Depends on the size of the balls, though. <laughs> well, yes. Um, many, many years ago, uh, back when I was a student, because of course this was back when I was a student, uh, a friend of mine threw a party where they filled their living room with polystyrene balls to make like a beach party, like the packing beads, oh. the tiny ones. And it required so many more than they thought it would. Like they did, they did the maths. I was like, oh no, we need to order sacks and sacks and sacks of this. And then they had to clean them up somehow. Was it worth it? 
Yeah, it was totally worth it. It was amazing. <laughs> the next question was sent in by Gabon Monchot. Thank you very much. The small French town of Cugno had a storage problem. So in 2007, they passed a law that prohibited its citizens from aggravating this situation. The townsfolk dearly wanted to obey this law, but often violated it. What was banned? I'll say that again. The small French town of Cugno had a storage problem. So in 2007, they passed a law that prohibited its citizens from aggravating the situation. The townsfolk dearly wanted to obey this law, but often violated it. What was banned? That's interesting that they dearly wanted to, but then couldn't. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like they're, it's sort of against, um, yeah. What could you really really want to adhere to but then just did they did they um did they not adhere to it because they were like weak-willed or was yeah. it something that they didn't have autonomy over? Is, was it just like purely they were like nobody can buy funko pops anymore and they're like but the new ones just came out i really need to get them i gotta build my collection and they were just so upset about it that's what i feel like I realise this question is not about Funko Pops, but could anyone explain to me why anyone collects those things or like grabs them? Nope. I just, I do not understand the appeal. Yeah, this is a different lateral thinking puzzle, which is... I mean, they look cool. <laughs> okay, the French, the French equivalent of, of Funko Pops, what about, is it to do with cheese? <laughs> <laughs> or bread? Okay. We, just we're like, going... I, really, I really want to not have cheese, but I just couldn't help myself. Yeah. There's, there's another show I do called Technical Difficulties uh, with a, a group of friends. And we got into the habit of going down the French stereotype route for jokes very often. And we, we just had the thing where the, the wheel would spin of which country we're going to offend that day and it would land on France because the wheel always lands on France because the wheel is 90% France. And just for a moment, I feel like I'm back in that show because I yeah. did not expect a cheese joke to suddenly appear. <laughs> Look, we talk about storage in France. It has to be. We got to bring it up. Yeah. If you have your big cheese wheels, you got to make sure you have spaces to put them. I feel like that's a totally legitimate mm -hmm. answer. It is a totally legitimate answer, but unfortunately <laughs> not the correct one. Is it something where the storage itself ends up multiplying? So like, uh, let's say that some people in France got hold of uh, some rabbits and then they were like, we desperately don't want to have any more rabbits. The rabbits are overtaking us, but then the rabbits are just, they've got a mind of their own. Is there something about the storage, the thing that was being stored, multiplying? There isn't, but storage is a somewhat flexible word in this question. Ooh. Oh, okay. I wonder if it like goes against their culture or like the way they go about life because they they couldn't do it or or what, what was it they could do or they couldn't like they wanted they to. They dearly wanted to obey this law, but often violated it. Okay. This is a stretch, but when you say that storage is is a bold or is a a very open ended term here, was it sewage storage? Were they told not to poop anymore? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. In a way that will seem terrible when the answer is revealed, you are slightly closer, but only very slightly. Okay, only very slightly. Early on, uh, someone said whether this was a, a thing that they had any control over. Mm. Um, they were not willfully disobeying this. It wasn't a self-control issue. It wasn't a self-control oh, okay. issue. Just like, I didn't mean to do it, but I did it. Mm -hmm. What about like house, houses? Is it a population question? And then they keep accidentally having babies. <laughs> um, 
I, I, very definitely not. <laughs> very, very definitely not. Uh, you, you could not be further away with that one, and yet. Oh, what's the opposite of having babies? <laughs> Now I'm uh, now I'm having dying. Oh, it's <laughs> the cemetery. Oh, it's the oh. cemetery. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. It really was the opposite of babies. <laughs> I knew that was going to be too much of a clue there, but there wasn't anything else I could do with that. Yeah. Also, now you know when I was when you said like sewage, I was like, no, but it is kind of a bodily function thing. It is kind of like. Yeah. Uh, something that isn't going to come back out the ground. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it bodily was, yes. waste, bodily waste, but just a different definition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the town ran out of space at both cemeteries. There's a water table that's too high. The only land available uh, was owned by the French Ministry of Defence, uh, who said no. Uh, so unless you already had a tomb arranged for the future, uh, the town passed a, a an attention-seeking law that said it was illegal to die there. Now. <laughs> In practice, this is not a law that was meant to be enforced. It was deliberately absurd, uh, but that was uh, that was what they pushed through. Uh, things did eventually improve in 2017 uh, with a new site, but the law has not been repealed. That's that's a really fun way to go out if you're like a super rebellious person. Like if I if I knew I was on my last <laughs> legs, I would fly there and then just be like one final uh screw you to the uh rest of the world for getting an illegal death. Next question is from Brian. Take it away. Yes. This question has been sent in by Sean Sandquist. There is a one to one billion scale model of the solar system, nearly six kilometers in length, along Melbourne's coastline. Which other scale object is a short walk from the model sun, and why is it there? There is a one to one billion scale model of the solar system, nearly six kilometers in length, along Melbourne's coastline. Which other scale object is a short walk from the model sun, and why is it there? Which other scale object? Is it at the same scale? Is it one to one billion as well? Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So then it's going to have to be something giant, otherwise it'd be... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Australia normally goes the other way. Australia has a lot of big things. Like there was a fad in the 20th century, I'm not sure any more precise than that, where a lot of Australian towns just decided that their local landmark was going to be the big chicken or lobster or penguin or whatever whatever the local mascot was whatever the local food stuff was they would just build a giant fiberglass version of it and that was their landmark however the scale's the wrong way for that and my brain was like running through the ones i've seen on the great ocean road and it's like i can't i can't unless there's a bit of navel gazing going on and it is actually australia because i mean one to one billion is going to be pretty small right but like (laughs) but i like the idea that it's like right that's exactly where the sun is and that's exactly where australia is and in there that's the giant chicken (laughs) (laughs) it's actually it's actually just a chicken they've just taken a regular chicken (laughs) yeah but but a billion times bigger in in this universe yeah 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 is it specifically one Mm. to one billion or could it yep. be like one billion to one? Because I was thinking, like, what if it was like a giant cell, oh. like something that's mic- mic- micro, you know? That's a clever idea. It's unfortunately it is still the same scale, so it is still one to one billion. But that would be a fun way to do. Okay. Is it a celestial object? It is a celestial object. It's got to be 
something on a giant scale, like you said, Hannah. Like, it's mm. got to be something that you can see when it's a billion times smaller. Is it? Uh, but I want to know if it's if it's near the sun, right? So, okay, what celestial object is near the sun? If this is a scale model, you've got to you've got to have something that should be there, presumably. I mean, relatively speaking, like Earth. If you're building a six-kilometer model, Earth's still going to be within like the first five hundred meters, maybe the first two hundred meters. I, I feel as though that would be too easy an answer for this game. Oh yeah, it's not that. But it's like it's a something like that. But what else is there? That it's at that scale. The stars, like the map of a, of the stars or meteors. Is is it important that it's in Melbourne? Like, there's an Australian connection here, surely. And I wish that there were uh, an Australian connection, but no, oh, it is indeed okay. nothing related to that. But uh, Lily, I wouldn't say that you're on you're you're on the right track potentially there. Could it be something that is passing by? So something that is like. Maybe uh, what about um, Voyager, uh, which is uh, launched from the Earth and is uh, off on its way out, but it went in the other direction, didn't it? No, that's that. And again, it's, it's it'd have to be a billion times smaller. At which point you're like at atomic scale, surely. Mm, mm. Maybe they've built something that is that small. Like you need to get a microscope to actually look at this thing. They've, they've not just installed the tiny thing somewhere there. They've installed a microscope so people can look down at the tiny thing and go, this is the scale. That, if I were the designer, I'd say that that would be a great idea. But I don't <laughs> believe that that's what they went with. If I, I, I think okay. you should pitch that to them as another fun little thing to add. Because I think that sounds great. I would love that if I went there. <laughs> so it is, uh, you had talked a little bit about Earth and things like that, but I will tell you that this object is positioned between the Sun and Mercury. And again, Lily, you are on the right track when it comes to star stuff. So is it solar flares? It's not solar flares, but that's, uh, I would say that it is something that, I want you to think about this in terms of how you're traveling in that distance on that one to one billion scale. Hold on a minute. Is this... Is this just a pop culture reference rather than something that's actually physically in the solar system? It's it's some uh, it's a starship of some kind. It's something from science fiction. It's something they don't have to it's be so just, tiny though. It's just Hugh Jackman standing next to the sun because he's one of Australia's <laughs> biggest stars. That's really all that it comes down to. <laughs> you figured it out. Is it is it no. a Dyson sphere? Is it uh, how we might harvest harvest energy from the sun? I would love it if it were a science fiction. And here is our plans for, yeah, building that Dyson sphere around the sun to become infinitely powerful. <laughs> no, but no, wait, you you said early on, it's it's definitely a celestial body of some kind. It, it is some big star-shaped thing. So what fits between the sun and Mercury that's that big? Now I'll I'll give you another hint there and say that yes it is a it is a a star-shaped object indeed but again when we're thinking about the scale and how you're walking to it think about it as as to just how how far you could be traveling on that scale. Oh god okay. Um how you could be traveling what so is in if you were well you're now an absolute ju- Oh I know is it a rubber sheet? <laughs> no it's not a rubber sheet. <laughs> Where you're, you're just to do the gra- the gravity because you're then a billion times bigger. Um, is it is it to do with be you fun. being a billion times bigger? No, unfortunately, it's not. Hold oh 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 oh! Hold on, 
there are multiple routes you could take to get there. And in theory, if you walked the long way round, if you walked all the way round the planet, which is about, uh, I, I'm doing vague calculations in my head, but like, did they put Alpha Centauri next to the sun? Because at that scale, if you walked all the way round the planet, that would be the nearest star. Oh, that's cute. That's correct. It's Proxima, Proxima hey. Centauri. Oh. You nailed it. Proxima Centauri. Okay. Proxima Centauri. That's yeah. cute. Wow. It was indeed that, because at this scale, one million kilometers in space is equivalent to one meter on the model. So uh, if the sun, the model of the sun is 1.4 meters wide, and the distances between the planet models are also correct. Uh, but after the sun itself, the next nearest star is Proxima Centauri, uh, which is over... 40 trillion kilometers away from us. But on the model scale, that's about 40,000 kilometers, which just happens to be the which circumference. Which is about of the, the circumference of the Earth. Yep. That's extraordinary. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Okay. It's tricky, though, because again, I was, I ran in, as I was reading the same question, I was like, there's nothing that big. There can't be anything between. I, I learned <laughs> the solar system in elementary school, and I know that there's nothing between right. Mercury and the sun. Come on. What an absolute fluke that it happens to be. That's a, that's a really extraordinary bit of serendipity, isn't it? Thank you to Chris Dixon for this next question. At the 1912 Summer Olympics, Eric Lemming won a gold medal in the javelin with a throw of 60.64 metres. Three days later, another man won a javelin gold medal at the same games with a distance of 109.42 metres. Both gold medals still stand. How? I'll say that again. At the 1912 Summer Olympics, Eric Lemming won a gold medal in the javelin with a throw of 60.64 metres. Three days later, another man won a javelin gold medal at the same games with a distance of 109.42 metres. Both gold medals still stand. How? Was one Paralympics? Uh, both. What year was this? 1912 Summer Olympics. And it was the same, like, uh, Olympic event, right? Like the same one? Yes. But there were two distances and they both got gold medals. They're not the same. It's the same Olympics. It's not the same event. Same Olympics. Was one a heptathlete or a triathlete or something? Whatever they're called. (laughs) Sometimes someone comes in with an idea and the very first note that I have on the question is it's nothing to do with a multi-party event (laughs) like the decathlon. Sorry. You just, (laughs) you absolutely like QI klaxoned your way into that one. Sorry about that. Thank you very much. Okay, if it was back in 1912, uh, everyone was absolutely bonkers for the javelin. Everyone loved that specifically. (laughs) So they had two different versions of it where one was short distance javelin and one was long distance javelin. And they were both (laughs) they were both javelin sports. How about um, during the celebration of the first javelin victory at 60 meters? Um, someone threw a javelin in excitement and it skewered the winner. (laughs) And they decided to let his medal stand posthumously, but continue the competition. (laughs) So of those two guesses from Brian and Hannah there, I'll say Brian is definitely closer. (laughs) Really? No way. There's no way. I feel like the skewering was spot on. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was assuming you were going to say that he was skewered and then he sort of 
staggered forward for about 40 meters on that. Then they awarded the gold to him then, but that was not uh, not an either. <laughs> um, there were two different events going on. It wasn't through some fad uh, for javelin sports right then, but yes, two different events. Are they weighted differently, the javelins? It is a difference between them. It's not the javelin. Is it the environment itself? Was it? Yeah. If it was like an... Like maybe it's a different area or weather? Yeah. Javelin against a strong wind, just to. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, like like a ski jump for, yeah. for the javelin. Yeah. That would be amazing. You yeah. like throw it down, and it goes all the way down instead yeah. of just straight. Yeah. Or you just set it off going down the ski. I want to do this now. I want to send a javelin down a ski jump and see what happens. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. It's a new sport. Because if it wasn't the environment and it wasn't the javelin, then presumably it had to be something different about the competitors. Hmm. I said it could be environment, it could be competitors, it could be the third thing you mentioned, which I cannot remember, even though it's only 10 seconds later. <laughs> uh, there is another factor that could play into it as well. Was one of them uh, standing still javelin throw and the other was running javelin? Getting a good sprint start. It's not that but you're right that it's a rule change. Mm. That it is a very different javelin event. And uh, a, a rule change that would be enough to change from 60 to 109 meters. That's a big difference. That's like double. Yeah. Do they get like two tries? Like they, they throw it and then they pick it up and they throw it again? Not exactly that. It's not two continuous throws, but you are so very close. You just get two tries, and then the distance gets added. And then the person who gets the, the longest from the two tries wins. You're, you're, you are dancing around it. You're dancing oh, around it so okay. much. I, I'll tell you this. 60 meters is a pretty good throw for a javelin in 1912. 100 would be ridiculous. So it's double, basically. Really? Was, it, was it left-handed javelin? <laughs> yes. More or less, put together everything we've heard. Oh. Let, 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 two, two throws at left hands, <laughs> javelin versus one throw at right. I don't know. Think about how you, you would, think about what rule would make sense for that. Like, you, you're so there, but I, I want someone to put this together because I don't want to give this one away. Two shots, one with each hand. And then they add it together. Yeah, Lily, oh, okay. you've got it. It's one with the left, one oh. with the right. They added them together, and that was how javelin used to work until the early 20th century. And the 1912 Olympics was the transition between the two styles. No one got skewered. No one got skewered. <laughs> maybe that's helpful for lefties who are maybe sometimes more yeah. ambidextrous. I don't know. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, now I think you get to throw with either hand just once. Oh. Oh, okay, so you get to choose. Hannah, over to you for the next question. Okay, buckle up. Right. Uh, this is a question that was sent in by Darcy. Uh, and Darcy says, London's Natural History Museum has a 19th century stone fragment that is taken from a water trough in Tyneside, England. The pale rock is made from calcium carbonate deposits and it's got thin, dark stripes that come in sets of five or six. Why? London's Natural History Museum has a 19th century stone fragment that was taken from a water trough in Tyneside in England. The pale rock is made from calcium carbonate deposits 
and it has thin, dark stripes that come in sets of five or six. Why might that be? Is it like a fossil? Like something was imprinted on it and it just stayed there? So it's from taken from a water trough. Mm. And calcium carbonate is... Is that... That's not chalk, is it? It's... I'm... I'm it's it, That's limestone or something mm. like it. It's, it's the sort of stuff that gets left behind when mm. you have hard water exactly. just running over something a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's limescale, basically. Limescale, that's it, not limestone. Mm. Okay. It's the stuff that builds up on your kettle. Exactly. Okay. Was it, did they, they took the rock out and an artist thought it would look nice with uh, lines of five <laughs> and six on them and they just painted it on because... Maybe that's it. Such a, such a, a 19th century barcode. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, if it's if it's in a water trough, it makes me think that it's about like something seasonal or something related to the village around it of like people using something in that time. Oh, Absolutely. You are okay. so on it. Okay. Seasonal, great. Exactly where it is being important, great. Okay. Wait, so... Okay. Can we define exactly what is a water trough? I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah, that. it's going to be like the sort of thing that you get water from for for cattle or something like that, like a big thing the size of a big old table with a, a, a like a semicircular shape. You just fill with water, and that's where the cattle drink the water from, or maybe the people pick up water from. Mm. Could be filled by a river, could be filled by a stream, could be filled by someone just chucking water into it. Okay. Wait, so is this man-made or is it like in nature? The trough is man-made. Okay, gotcha. It has to be something like, you know, rings of trees. You can tell when there was a bad winter or something, right? Um, but like, I don't know what it would yep. make it five and six. That's the thing. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I like being the quiz master. It's, it's much fun, more fun, isn't it? It's really fun. <laughs> okay, um, five or six is a strange number. They're never seven. Never seven. So what can you... I, there's One of these happens every month, uh, and it's just twice during the year they, they stop. Um, oh, oh, no. I was going to say it was something to do with weekly, and it doesn't happen on Sundays, but it's not like they, uh, they, they skip a day in the calendar Interesting. sometimes. Interesting. Or like a leafier kind of thing. I don't know. Something about the moons. So remember, these are dark stripes that are uh, come in the rock, right? In sets of five. It's it's camouflage to avoid tigers. <laughs> yes. In Tyneside. <laughs> in Tyneside, yeah. The famous Tyneside Tigers. I think they play rugby league. Um, I assume that these were vertical stripes going down it but they could be like deposit layers built up in fact in the question it says made from calcium carbonate deposits right i was assuming it was like running down the side but it's not it's like this has been built up so it goes it must go light dark light dark light dark correct and brian was right that it's like the, the rings of a tree okay okay so what happens and also that's not going to build up quickly i don't know Tyneside, famously hard water. <laughs> I don't know. They all they all go out and do their laundry uh, at a certain point every month, and then like it's too hot in the summer, so they don't do it for July, and then it's too cold in the winter, so they don't do it for <laughs> December, and like that's they just skip one of those, and that's where that gap comes in. So you are 
actually quite close. Oh, it, hold on. If if it's days, exactly, it's days. It's got to be days, and they're breaking. It's something they're not doing on Sundays. Yes, and then occasionally oh. other days because yes. it's Christmas or oh. it's something like that. Yes. So is it is it laundry? Is it these are the days when they did laundry, and it's just this this has stains in it. You are you are so close. It is stains. It is stains, and you are right about this Sunday being the reason. Um, this is where this is the important thing about where the where it is in particular comes into play, and the nineteenth century as well. So nineteenth century in the north of England. Is it a religious thing? Like on Sundays they don't work or do laundry. <laughs> they don't work on Sundays. That's true. Mm-hmm. Is it is it mining related? Is it like getting? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they're going oh. into the mines and they've got stuff on their clothes and then that stuff gets put in coal dust. The- it's it's coal mines. It's oh, well done. That was an excellent group effort. I enjoyed that enormously. Well done. Yeah. So the thing is, is that this trough came from the bottom of the mine. So you've got oh. the water flowing through. It's right at the bottom. Soot's going around all over the place. So it's not from washing clothes or something like that. It is just the water in the mine only got dark when they were mining. Oh, okay. Exactly. I truly did just believe it was like they all were like hopping in after a long day's work, needing to bathe off and have a good time. But no, it seems (laughs) much more industrial. And then light-coloured calcium carbonate deposits, which are, you know, quite similar to limestone, uh, they are formed when the mine isn't in operation. So it goes, uh, you know, dark when it's open, light when it's not. So at weekends or or the only day off, um, you you get those light stripes. And this rock has been given the name Sunday Stone. Sunday Stone. That's lovely. Uh Yeah. One final thing then, at the top of the show, I asked a question that was sent in by Sam Riley. In 1981, why did 300,000 people turn up for a funeral ceremony when no one had died? Before I give the answer, any quick guesses from the panel? I do have a guess. I watched a movie yeah. recently um, where someone had like um, like a funeral, but it wasn't really a funeral because she was dying and she wanted to have people like come together. Uh, for like one last like celebration while she was still alive. Is it something like that? I thought in the first few words you were going to nail that immediately because we are talking about a film, but it's not that one. Oh, okay. Uh, was it a character in a film that everyone was saying goodbye to? I mean, not really a character. Mm. You, you've basically got it, uh, Lily. At the moment, you said film. Frankly, I'm, I'm willing oh. to give you the point for that that it's, it's okay. fictional. But if anyone can name a, a 1981 film that might have needed 300,000 extras, The Godfather? Mm, definitely not. <laughs> very, very definitely <laughs> can not. Can you tell I haven't seen it? Can you tell? I don't know whether it's obvious. <laughs> Last call I'll give. Uh, it was a biopic. Biopic. Bi- biopic. I don't actually know how to pronounce that word. But oh, it was a- I know. The Last Emperor. Gandhi, unfortunately. But oh. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Gandhi. The, the movie was Gandhi. It was uh, released in 1982. It was a funeral scene and 95,000 contracted performers who got about 50 cents each and 200,000 volunteer extras oh for gosh. two minutes of screen time. Wow. How, wait, how did they gather that many people? Honestly, I couldn't tell you that, but there's probably a very good DVD extra about it. <laughs> yeah. That seems like a logistical nightmare to get everyone together. 
My views has just chimed in with a van and a loud hailer. <laughs> with that, congratulations on getting through the show. Well done to all of our three players. Uh, let's find out where can people find out more about you? What are you up to? We will start with Hannah. You can follow me on social media, Fry R Squared, and I'm doing stuff all the time. Too many things to name. Just keep your eyes open and I'll be there like rust. I get everywhere. You you sounded really surprised I was going to ask you that question. I feel like I should have got <laughs> it. No one cares about me. Do the other good people. I want to know here about the dominoes. Lily. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or I think they call it X now, uh, at Hevish5. And I just topple dominoes. So if you like seeing that kind of stuff, it's very, very satisfying. And Brian. Uh, you can just look up my name, Brian David Gilbert on Google or whatever, and you'll find whatever you find. Good luck, I suppose. <laughs> and that is our show. If you want to find out more about this, you can go to lateralcast.com, where you can also send in your own ideas for questions. We are at lateralcast basically everywhere, and you can see video highlights multiple times a week at youtube.com slash lateralcast. With that, thank you very much to Brian David Gilbert. Thank you. Lily Hibesh. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. And Hannah Fry. Thank you. What a treat. I've been Tom Scott, and that's been Lateral. <laughs>